Hello, I'm Henry Raby. I'm a poet and I'm sat in my bedroom. I've spent a lot of time in this room over the past year, flanked by two giant stuffed bookcases, a pile of gifted stationery, an often unmade bed, and a window out to a rainy, freezy, wintry York. These are the Say Out But Stay In tapes. Conversations with poets recorded in January 2021 during the global coronavirus pandemic. I've always had an unhealthy relationship with the word should. Throughout my poetry career, I've always thought I should be doing this or I should be doing that. I should be winning slams. I should be getting at festivals. I should be getting published. I call it being in the land of should, and it's not a very nice place to be. A jolt of ambition is fine, but dog-eat-dog competition and comparison and a nagging brow-beating self-flagellation, these are not real motivators. Sometimes you just need to take time to breathe, be patient, plan accordingly, nudge plans into motion, be bold but not brutal. In this podcast, we'll hear conversations with Clive Burney. So yeah, so it's just it's the small, it's slightly bigger than a box room, but it's you know, but but it's where the ladder lives, as you can see. You know, so it's this this multi-purpose space that is. It, my desk is in this this one corner of the room. And Mab Jones. I'm in this. I'm in the living room of a shared house that I currently live in, and that's because I chose poetry as a lifestyle a long time ago. It's an old Victorian house and it's really beautiful on the outside. Kind of a different story. This is probably one of the nicer rooms in the house. It's just a little worn. Clive is a Portishead-based poet, artist and printmaker working at a place where poetry and art collide. His poetry pamphlet, Palmipest, was published by Verve Poetry Press at the start of 2020. Mab Jones is a Cardiff-based writer. She runs Black Rabbit Press and Infinity Books. She's currently the writer-in-residence at Cardiff Wetlands Nature Reserve. When we think about 2020, it'll inevitably be the in and out of lockdowns, but there was a brief period when we were all blissfully continuing normality. Clive's pamphlet, Palmapest, came out just at the top of 2020. Yeah, I mean, it's a short, it's a pamphlet with Poetry Press, and it, and it grew out of a sequence of poems that, that that came together quite slowly over a period of about five years that came out of my kind of visual work. So I, I tend to, I collage, if you like, is probably the, the, the easiest way to describe it. So I often say that I make poems rather than write them. I do sometimes just write them like a normal human poet, but, you know, my my creative process is, is more making. So I might take little scraps of things from elsewhere, might be from magazines, just, you know, leaflets, stuff that comes through the letterbox. And, and kind of chop them up and then reassemble them to, to create narratives that and stitch them together with original lines. So I kind of write the bridges that that turn these random scraps into into things. I don't know, it started as a, almost like 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 a lot of a lot of my poetry. Um, it's it starts almost as games you play to get the, the brain going, and and then they kind of stuck as oh no, I mean, I'm I'm going to explore this now, and it, it's a most of, my work comes in these little blocks where I find a thing and I go, oh, I'm going to go down this now. I'm going to explore and explore and explore and explore. And so I slowly make, started making these poems over a number of years and, and they were all over the wall here at one point as I, as I put it together. And I got to the point where I had about 15 and stalled a bit and thought, I don't believe this isn't enough for a pamphlet. It doesn't really fit anywhere. I'd sent it to people at the Long Poem magazine. I went, you know, it's a bit experimental for us, to be quite honest. Mm. 
so I thought, oh, where does this go? And then I read Claire Trevian's Brain Fugue, which Verve had published, and it's and it's just this this sequence of poems about the brain. And I thought, oh, okay. And I don't know, that's kind of lit the fuse. And, and I went back and took some other work that wasn't originally related to the sequence and reworked it to work it into the sequence because they, the original sequence was the sort of the center. And then there was these rings around it that, that came from the same era. And it slowly came together until it was a, a series of about, I think in the end it was about 25 poems that follow dystopian near future world and you know turned into the world we were living in last year which is strange but you know and and and, and palimpsest came from being a description of the technique okay so palimpsest got these different layers put together build up build up a whole and then there was a character in the middle of it and so in the end she became palimpsest became her name as well and when that bit clicked it all sort of came together as this this as this this crazy narrative and she's kind of a i don't know an anti-superhero an assassin, essentially. I mean, she's she goes essentially she's going around with murdering men, basically, who 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 not always men, but who you know people who should know better. So yeah, it came out last at the end of January last year. So yeah, and I did two gigs. I had, I had fifteen books up to um, spring and summer, and then one festival in the autumn that was confirmed. And and other autumn people were saying maybe too early to book at this point when I was inquiring. Um, so I was hoping to get it up to do. My, my, my aim was 20 gigs. I say to poets, um, I reckon it takes 20 gigs to make a book. Back in January 2019, Donna Ferguson wrote an article for The Guardian under the headline, Poetry Sales Saw as Political Millennials Search for Clarity. I wrote a blog in response to the time, saying it was tied to the increase of live performance poetry as a market space to sell and promote these books. Clive Book is all about making and finding that meaning using magazines and junk mail and redacted and cut up text. So I asked him about this search for meaning, this search for clarity when things seem so chaotic. Sometimes we feel stuff and we react to stuff and, and it can be hard to put into words or it's just as human beings rather than, 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 than poets, I mean you know, put into words or, or, or build understanding of, of where those complex emotions are coming from, particularly in, in strange, you know, times. There's a sort of end of days feeling about, um, end of epoch feeling about about the time we're living in right now, isn't there? You know, you sort of wonder, well, what if people is the sort of the, the belle epoch fell apart and led to sort of like like global war? You know, how, how did that feel? And I think we probably felt a bit like this, really, where suddenly everything's uncertain and, you know, the, the future looks complex on many levels and then so i think sometimes poetry can do two things to that it either either provides you with someone else managing to put into words the things that you can't unravel or straighten out in your own head and then you know i think like, like vanessa casule's poem about the colston statue coming down i hit hit a nerve with a lot of people because i think she summed up what people felt and and, and that works so i think i think something i think holly mcnish is very good at this as well particularly for her for her audience you know she gives them permission to talk about and express themselves about things that are often taboo. And again, now with talking about sexuality and, and other things that, that, are, that are, you know, women are told not to talk about. She's very, very good at, good at that. And her new book comes out this year and it will, it will, you know, I think be the biggest hit yet of all her books. So I think it's those two things, certainly. And, and the other thing I think sometimes maybe it's just an escape. You know, I think you, you, you can lose yourself in a, if poetry is your thing, it could be the the I almost said safe space maybe that you, you can go there and 
but I think for the 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 thing I've always said about spoken word performance poetry is that it's, it's of the moment, isn't it? You know, the, there's always people out there. Selena Gordon, you know, is, is the queen of this. That you know, she's always writing very contemporary work that's talking about the world at this moment. And I th- and I think that's something that poetry can do because which is much harder for other art forms because there's there's you know you can you can write a poem record it put a video out you know tag it online and it, it's out there in the world speaking about the thing as people are experiencing it whereas by the time someone's written the brexit novel well brexit's done by the time someone's written the pandemic novel you know it's five years time clive is one of the first people i'd heard of who contracted covid19 back in march 2020 Early March, I went to London. I was invited to a, 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 a there was an event that was going to be originally at London Book Fair, and then when that was cancelled, the Forward Arts Foundation were throwing it. And they said, you know, okay, we're going to have a very small meeting just about these poetry things, and you know, we'll, we'll keep it safe. It's a big venue. There's plenty of room, etc. Um, and I think they did a good job in that respect. It was, I didn't. It didn't feel nobody felt that worried about it at the time. Everybody was sanitising furiously because we were being told to wash our hands at that point. Nobody had a mask on because masks weren't really a thing. And I was asked to, to host a, a, a Q&A session. And I thought, shall I go? And I wasn't going to go really, right up to the day before I was going to cancel. And I, and I just thought, you know, I don't get asked to do these things very often. And I think if I, if I say no to people like the Ford Arts Foundation, you know, they're, they're not going to ask me back. And it, it does burn in on a lot of good if I, if I you know, go and represent i feel like I'm, I'm the person in the room representing this the the, the side of poetry that, that that gets up behind a microphone when i go into those rooms and if i don't turn up then we're not in the room so yeah so i went and um about five days later i fell ill um just before the first lockdown and then after the first week i, I started to get better i thought oh well if that was it it wasn't too bad and i had this like two-day window of feeling better and then like my life fell apart really and and um uh, it's really only the middle of de- December that I can honestly say I felt back to normal again. So I, I had nine months of various health issues rampaging through me and, and my head. I had a, for a lot of people, it's a respiratory disease. For other people, it's like a cognitive disease. It's almost like having a stroke or a concussion. And that's what it was for me. So, you know, it, it destroyed my ability to self-promote. I limped through doing as much as I could for Bridge to help Bernie and I keep going whilst Bridget and my wife Kate you know who, who helps us Kate runs the sort of uh finance side of the, the business all the invoicing and and uh you know getting paid side of thing is her importantly enough is you know that still happened which is important you know so but really they they ran the show last year with me just filling in the gaps where there, there were things come up that they couldn't do that, that I just had to do but yeah so last year just was a non-event for me completely so so my box of books that arrived from, from Verve in January last year still sat behind me on the floor. <laughs> Friends of mine will tell you that one of my worst habits is spending time in the York Press comments section, arguing with people that I can only describe as twats. But it's not about changing their minds. I just don't want them to leave their toxic comments unchallenged, left to influence other people scanning social media. Well, all this fear and hassle when COVID-19 has a 98.99% survival rate. That's my twat comment voice. Okay, so firstly, obviously, we shouldn't let anyone be at risk from a virus no matter the survival rate. Secondly, this completely erases vulnerable people. And thirdly, 
This binary of survive or die is such a non-argument. People don't just magically recover from COVID-19 and get at 100% health. And they're not computer game characters. COVID can affect people for months and months after the infection. There's still not enough research into what's being called long COVID. I asked Clive about his experiences. Isn't being talked about, isn't being reached, or is there a... a no, no, I mean, it's out there. I mean, there are a lot of advocates for it who are, you know, running campaign groups. And you know, there's a piece of research that was done by a patient group that, that that is in a lot of the press this week, although it's it's obviously with caveat saying this is, this is, this is, although it's run by researchers that, you know, the, the demographic grouping of it is a bit narrow and it's mostly people like me. Um, it's probably completely missing the more multi-ethnic working class part of society that that I think, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I put a short poem up back, back last year, sort of pointing out that, you know, the only people that are staying home are the people who can afford to stay at home, who, you know, that you're getting grumpy that your Ricardo delivery hasn't come without appreciating the thousands and thousands of people who are still going to work every day during during a pandemic of a highly infectious disease in order to make sure that you 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 know you get your organic goat's milk when you want it or or, or whatever it is if you see me. Mm. And um I don't think that's that you know message that story's been lost. Um as you know, I mean you know you and I are on the same wavelength and this kind of things like like working class stories almost always are lost in the mix, aren't they? But yes, I, I think, and it's still misunderstood. Nobody under, really understands long COVID. There's no great research being done into it. At the point when it took me 100 days to get a confirmed diagnosis. Um, and that diagnosis finally came when in June, when I was at that point, it was the symptoms I had were, were like I'd had a stroke. And there's a theory that the virus crosses the, the, the blood-brain barrier and you know, then you get almost like a toxic shock. Um, I call it viral concussion. That's what it felt like. I felt like I was concussed. I felt like my, my skull was ringing for weeks. Um, and this is kind of, like, I would say, more like 100 days into the illness. If you see what I mean. It's not like it just happened at the beginning and then slowly you get better. It's like it's, things keep happening all the way through. Um, and, and some blood tested at that point finally confirmed that I had antibodies to COVID-19. That was the first test. Um, and I said, yep, you've definitely had it. And I said, like, we've no idea how long this is going to run. Go home, rest good luck that was the medical advice <laughs> yeah. so, I was a bit, of a bit of an early adopter I guess that's the problem so now that we're all trapped inside how do we find those creative spaces that nourish us into creativity this isn't my creative space strangely enough but it's because it's so much my workspace I find that I, I mentally have to go and you know, physically have to move myself somewhere else to be creative now um so that tends to be somewhere else in the house you know rather than rather than here so, yeah yeah I, it doesn't have to be a specific place no um and sometimes it is here if i haven't if i haven't been sitting in here working in the day then i might come in here and write and that'll be okay you know and i put some music on or whatever and and, and shut the door um my, my guitar and amp are just over there as well so this is this is the room i get banished to when i want to make lots of loud 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 discordant noise nice. um you know my wife and daughter describe my playing as fucking awful noise rather than anything that they, they consider musical or, or creative but uh but you know hey it, it's a stress outlet you know <laughs> Mab lives opposite the Cardiff Wetlands, which is pretty convenient for her role as resident writer of Cardiff Wetlands Nature Reserve. She shows me a view through her camera. 
but the view is the best view in the city. It's in Cardiff and the view is over the wetlands um, and I'm the resident writer there. So that's cool. I live here and that's there and I can look out. I don't have to go anywhere and I can pen something, which is always good for me. I'm more of an indoors person, but we see a lot of birds from the windows. So uh, it's a bird sanctuary as well. So we see kind of rare species, not just the usual type. Okay, so looking out my bedroom window, uh, it's onto the car park of the flats and I can see my car, which is a relief. I can see into the garden as someone in a maroon hoodie that's uh, faffing about with a couple of chairs, lime green garden chairs. So I can see into a couple of people's gardens. Um, I just really hope that they can't see into my room so they don't see that I'm spying on them, basically. Anyway, getting back to the podcast, I asked Mab about how 2020 went for her. I actually have probably written less this year than in most other years, because what happened is when the first lockdown happened, when that started, I lost a lot of arts work. Mm. But I had done some temping previously, in previous years, um, and I basically went back to that and got other work eventually there was a period where I didn't have any work which was a bit scary I was quite I don't know it kind of made me a bit worried about income <laughs> I did receive one of those grants that was going around which helped me in that first bit then I eventually managed to get a temp job and it's kind of digital communications and it's all right it's, I enjoy it but that's kind of what I've been focusing on I haven't written that many poems about the birds but my lifestyle did change. First, I kind of focused on like worry and what wasn't there and trying to find new work. But then when that first lockdown was over, I, I, I don't know, I kind of felt less worried because I got the temp job. But this next lockdown then here, which was September, I think, or yeah, I can't remember now. There's been so many things and I don't watch the news. I went to stay at my partner's. And he's very outdoors. So actually, we went on a lot of adventures. And that was really cool because he lives in the Vale of Glamorgan, which has got all this epic coastline. And I live in Cardiff, which has really only got the wetlands. Like, that's it. And we've got the bay, but it's just sort of a bit of water. It's not, it's not a coastline. So every weekend, we go on a walk somewhere. And that coastline is what's called a fossilized coastline so it's really stunning looking it's like all these different kinds of slabs and layers and so on and you can find um, crystals and mm. fossils of different sorts and we found a dinosaur bone one day nice. very exciting and I miss swimming a lot that's the big one I actually only learned to swim like um, just over a year ago so I got like a few months of swimming and it was my favourite thing and now I can't do it. So I kind of regret again that I didn't learn earlier. I was a bit scared maybe of the water. Um, I've got, a po I've got, a, I should have had a book, a new book out last year with Indigo Dreams, but it hasn't materialised. But that's got a poem about the sea in it. And that was before, I wrote it before I could learn to swim and I called the sea a blue bitch in it which is, it just makes me laugh. <laughs> that blue bitch, I say. 
I don't feel like that anymore. I actually like the sea. She's not a bitch. There's a recurring theme in these conversations and the say out but stay in tapes that I've recorded where poets actually prefer Zoom. Yeah, I have really preferred it. I mean, I mostly did things online anyway. I have got another job, which is I promote the Wilbur Smith Adventure Writing Prize. Mm-hmm. Um, and But, I mean, my boss there is in London and Wilbur Smith is in South Africa and I do his social media too now. Yeah, I do prefer it, but it wasn't really a big change. I teach at Cardiff Uni also, got an evening job there, and that switched from face-to-face to Zoom. I think that's worked really well. Like some students at first didn't want to do it and there were some dropouts, you know, that first. So that was the summer term because they'd already signed up and that's not what they'd signed up for. But then this last one, the autumn and winter term, they knew that that's what they were signing up for and it was a full class. It was like you can have max of 16 and there were 16 and they were there every week. Mm. Like I think a couple of times we had 15. But like I've never had that before because with a physical class, there's stuff that comes up or whatever, but they were just, I guess they, they've got nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> but it just worked really well and they really bonded. And I think it, maybe it took a while to get a hang of how to bond a group over zoom but yeah it went well the lockdown writers club doesn't include a zoom it's just an email course okay so once a week that part that class was once a week and that felt like enough enough human interaction for me in 2019 sat at this desk i wrote some of my best poetry or at least i like to think it was my best poetry It was part of a show called Apps and Austerity, where I looked back across the 2010s. I look back across 2020, and I think I only really wrote two poems that have legs. And I'm really frustrated with myself that that's how I measure my success by my output. I think all artists have difficult ways of measuring success in capitalism. It's not like we're a factory trying to produce a quota of poems per annum. And then that just leads to unhelpful, inevitable comparisons with fellow poets. I put these thoughts to Clive. And and the worst feeling, the worst feeling is jealousy and envy and and all that stuff. And you look and you go, oh, they they got asked to do that thing or because there's so little opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's not good. And and that's what I've been dealing with. So I've not been feeling guilty and jealous, but I've been telling myself not to. So I've had to like check myself. No, no, I get that. I get that. I really do identify with that, Henry. I I have similar things. Sometimes I I kind of look at some of my contemporaries and, you know, opportunities that that you think, oh, that would have been great. I didn't even know it existed. I'd have gone for that if it was there, you know. And um, especially over the last year, I've just it's just been like I've been watching cars drive past with room, 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 and I've just been no position really to to do anything about it. So it's uh, and it's hard, isn't it? We have to sort of keep giving ourselves a little talking to it and so yeah, you know. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, other people's successes, talking. other people's successes are not our failures, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but sometimes they feel like they are, don't they? I asked Clive about his sense of productivity and about staying in the game. Yeah, for a while, I think, you know, I was conscious that a lot of people were, were running, you know, Zoom events and managing to adapt to, to putting events on. And um, in the Burning Eye context, we did a series of uh, Instagram live um, launches for people's books. So we kept the books we kept publishing. They went quite well. And, you know, we'd get, you get a, a decent small audience on the night. 
which, you know, sometimes you go, oh, you know, we only got 30 people. And you think 30 people at a live gig in a pub is a, is a triumph, isn't it? You know, and, and suddenly <laughs> because we're doing it online, we're questioning that. And so, so I think we were. But then we went back and looked at them like a few weeks later and finding that we had like, you know, 200, 300, 400, you know, views of, of those those video clips. So we thought, oh, that's that's really quite good, isn't it? You know, and but for me, I, I was in, I was, because I was so debilitated, it, it, it sort of washed over me a bit really last year. It's only as I've started to sort of come out the other side of that in December and, and now in January that I'm sort of thinking, you know, and, and actually one, two things came along that I kind of said, yes, I will, I'll contribute to that. And here's a proposal and they were accepted. So I almost like not quite commissions, but <clears throat> well, one sort of is, uh, the Standard Poetry Festival uh, having a, a, an online, pretty much online festival this year. Uh, and I pitched to them that I'd make them a short video poem about about my COVID experience, which mm. they came back and said, yes. So, so I've got that to deliver at the end of the month. So, that, so it's nice to have just one thing. And the other thing was a, like an art thing where I am. Um, uh, I only I, I'm, I print. I'm a printmaker. So I make, I make a, you know, screen print mostly. And I had one piece I was working on when I fell out, and I didn't, I didn't get ink out until until November. And I, so I made two prints last year. Um, one was a, a Christmas present for my daughter, and the other one I submitted to um, an exhibition. It's a small exhibition prize run by the Southwest Arts Magazine Evolver. And if you that you you you, it's, you you have to make a new piece that might be like work as the cover of the magazine, and the top fifty they put in a small exhibition so it's going to be of course this time an online exhibition rather than in a gallery which is a shame but that got accepted one of those that piece that one piece got accepted so it was, you know small triumphs just make you feel like you're still in the game don't they mab has also been ill in 2020 though not with covid19 when we chatted in january 2021 she didn't have a diagnosis yet i asked her about her upcoming year and whether she feels hopeful for her work and writing I haven't really done that full on anyway at any point. I have, I've never been that full on with it ever. Like I can't, there's just mm. something in me. I can't, I can't stress myself out with that. And also I think my mind, if I had a strategy, then that implies I'm looking at others and there's some kind of competitive element in that. I am competitive, a little competitive, but not overly competitive. I don't want to mess with my own head and do that because then I don't know about others but I might feel bitter or I might feel jealous or I might feel resentful and I just would prefer to steer clear of those kind of feelings I've got a strong sense of entitlement is the other thing which I've had since I was a child and I don't know why I'm working class not sure where it came from but I feel entitled to success and I feel there's kind of a success I envisage is just doing what I want to do and getting money doing that. Poetry is quite a hard thing to get money at. But writing, I mean, writing is, but less so. And that's why I'm go, moving towards prose. I never actually wanted to be a poet. I thought I would be a novelist. Mm. Um, and I think that's probably the way I'm going to go. Um, I've only written a few short stories and one of them won something. And I think, no. I think I've, I've got books inside that's how I feel and I want to make them a reality and one of them needs finishing off mm. so that's what I want to do this year I tend to do a lot of things 
I think that's why I don't make a strategy because I'm doing a lot of things and then I just see where they go. So um, I did publish someone last year. I started a couple of little publishing initiatives and one's called Black Rabbit Press and one's called Infinity Books. And Infinity Books is kind of digital publishing. I haven't done much with that because I've been ill. Um, but Black Rabbit Books, I that they're handmade books. Um, and I kind of had a vision of the cover. The cover is a paper cut with a colored backing and they're really beautiful. And that one, it came out just as I was being ill. So I kind of had to go with it. So looking forward, I'd like to do more of that as well, because I always tend to do something where I'm, you know, promoting or supporting others. I, I like to do that for some reason. I feel it's part of my role. This year, I've been stuck inside my room, but I've also been stuck inside my head, feeling like I'm missing all manner of commissions and opportunities and gigs and events, while also feeling unproductive and unartistic and missing feeling that shared camaraderie of friendship. These are feelings shared by people all across the world. It's nice to know that I'm not the only one. The lens of social media can make it feel like other people are being successful, that other people are coping better, that other people will come out of this stronger. The only advice I can give at the moment is the advice I'm trying to give myself, to make sure I am tending to a creative space, that I'm looking out for those nice views, that I'm stocking up with small adventures. Mab tweets at Mab Jones and her website is mabjones.com. Clive's info can be found at vervepoetrypress.com. Clive tweets at Clive Burney. If you get a chance, please check out the other Say Out But Stay In tapes. I've been Henry Raby. You can find me on Twitter and Facebook. Please give us a like and follow on the Say Out pages. Music supplied by Drooligan. Thank you very much. Lots of love. Bye.